0: don't bottle in, don't um, keep it all to yourself. There's a lot of help out there, you know, and for me, unfortunately, I just didn't know that the help was available at that time. Don't don't be afraid, just do have the courage. I'm telling you now, anyone who may have felt this or going through this, yeah, stand up and have the courage to, to speak up.
1: When we launched Dirty Linen almost 200 episodes ago, The idea was that we'd start talking about a topic and see what happened, see who else wanted to weigh in. Our thinking was to create more space to talk, to operate against a media and general discourse trend that tended towards sound bites and lists and short grabs. We might not exhaust a topic, we might not solve complex issues, but we will give them a good go, we'll shake them all around, and always we welcome a a a diversity of voices. That is the Dirty Linen Project. This fortnight, we've been talking about anti-Asian racism, and I'm really pleased that Will Mahuse has put himself forward to become part of the conversation. Will is from Sydney, Cebu, Lechon, and I was re- I really enjoyed his conversation on my brother podcast, Deep in the Ways with Anthony Huckstep. Will, welcome to Dirty Linen. Hi,
0: Danny. Hello. <laughs> Good morning for having me.
1: Yeah, good morning. Uh, it's a it's a freezing one in Melbourne today, and I'm assuming that sunny Sydney is a more pleasant place to be. It's
0: quite chilly. I mean, the sun is out, but um, the wind chill is definitely you know getting you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Well, I don't have to be jealous of you on that count. Um, So, Will, thank you so much for putting yourself forward to be part of Dirty Linen. It's always been the project that you know, if people have something to say, we welcome them putting themselves forward to be part of the conversation. Um, And yeah, I just want to thank you for listening to the discussions we've been having over the past week or so about racism towards uh, people with Asian heritage. How has the how have these conversations uh, struck you? Uh,
0: First, it. Obviously, uh, struck a chord, Uh, you know, that uh, topic or that area is close to my heart, and I say that uh, because I've lived it or experienced it. Um, It's something that was demonstrated um, towards me, and growing primary school all the way to senior years, and sometimes, um, you know, there are times that I still that sort of energy um, in my, you know, in my adult years. So, um, and I really am so thankful that you've, uh, you know, done something about about that subject or that topic and bringing light towards it. I, I know it's somewhat, maybe a, for lack of a better term, taboo, but um, the fact that you've just put it out there, I'm so, yeah, I was so happy that you, you did that.
1: Um, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're happy that it's been aired. You know, I have to say I found it really, really tricky and, and difficult um, in, in some ways because I feel like it is really important to highlight prejudice and inequality because hopefully when more people know about it or think about it or are confronted by the reality of it, that it creates change. And it, um, yeah, moves us closer to having equality of opportunity and, yeah, just all living on this earth together in peace and harmony. Um, but I know it's not something that, you know, everybody everybody wants to talk about um, and that includes the people who are the victims of, of racism. Um, so it's a tricky one. Uh, it, it, and yeah it's a tricky one
0: it, it is and it it can be very uh, i would say sensitive um for for you know for both um the the person that's gone through it and perhaps the are you know people out there that may be listening to you know what what we're about to discuss and the reason why I you know need to go through this um with you was that I would love to be one of those people that would bring awareness um, towards this issue and because I know with awareness comes obviously education and then the next steps is the changes but um, you know it's getting that sort of uh, shift in the way you know you and I treat ourselves and people.
1: Mm. So where do you want this conversation to go? What would you like to talk about? What would you like to share?
0: well you know from I, I remember uh clearly uh arrived because we we arrived um we immigrated from the island of Cebu in the Philippines but here I was grade five primary school and straight away uh, days after i um you know I was enrolled and I started you know attending um primary school i was already pushed around and like, like you know, physically pushed around because um, I was like a minority, like literally a minority. I, I'm, in, in my school of hundreds of kids, I, I don't know, maybe I was like one out of 10 or one out of 15 uh, um, kid, um, Southeast Asian or Oriental um, heritage or descent. And um, I thought, I didn't really think nothing of it um for such a long time i sort of just i thought it was just i don't know like banter or jokes um until you know it got pretty bad like i really got like, more pushed around more physically you know physically um sort of abuse and uh you know that included um name callings um and and that went you know and um and that went uh on throughout uh Yeah, primary school, grade five and grade six. And then I still didn't do anything about it. I didn't tell anyone about it, really. I sort of kept it to myself. And then years later, you know, went into high school, year seven, year eight, year nine, year ten. It still went on. Um, It was only up until I think year nine from memory or maybe year ten where I really realized, like, I need to stand up for myself. It, It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. This is not right. And But before that, I sort of, yeah, I I absorbed it all, the name calling. Um, I'd get called, like, you know, the typical names that I would get called or people would yell out and go back to China. Um, I mean, I wasn't even from China, um, uh, from Cebu, Philippines. But it's like that stereotype. Um, And they would, um, you know, pull their eyes back to make it, you know, look obviously – more Oriental, and and start you know teasing me, and they would call me names like uh you know gook slanty eyes, slaphead, um, all all those things that, yeah, that um, obviously like to that extent, it was pretty severe. Um, the name calling, all those name calling that you could you you know you could think of.
1: Well, it's so it's so it's so awful. It's so awful. Um, I mean, kids kids I guess can really be really mean and uh, you know I guess people sort of use what they think their weapons are um, but it's it's so awful that that's what you experienced and that you didn't feel that you were able to talk about it I mean did you, did you did you come here with any siblings I mean were you able to talk about it with anybody
0: I didn't and that's the reason because I thought I was I thought it, like it only happened to me so I thought maybe there's something wrong like with me if that makes yeah I don't know if that makes sense yeah and, well yeah uh. and and it wasn't just in school like when I was um you know in 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 when you're talking like 10s and 20 or 30 years back ago um growing up in that age in western um, part of Sydney where predominantly it was all Anglo Aussies um, I would have people driving in their car um, and they would throw like stuff at me and yell out go back to China you know um, slaphead and you know gook again those names um, that was that also happened outside of school um, and and yeah I experienced that you know many times but sort of just sucked it up and 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 it questioned my myself like you know You know, there were stages in my life where, in in that part of my life, you know, that made me question, um, oh, what's wrong with me? And you know, what was even more tough, more tough, not just being um, Asian um, in a predominantly um, uh, white neighborhood, was that I was also, um, you know, gay and minority Asian, and being gay um, in a In that area of Western Sydney, where, you know, if you're gay, um, you're not supposed, it's not normal to be gay in that area back in those years. So there were so many struggling points that I endured.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, that is a real lot to be dealing with and to be dealing with by yourself. I mean, did you, one of the things that happens when people are marginalized and, and, yeah, uh, abused in the way that you were is, is that they internalize feelings of shame. I mean, did you feel did you feel that? Did you have feelings of shame?
0: Of course. Yeah, of course. But um I again I um you know I um just kept it all to myself. And I guess that's where you know when you bottle things up and then you know, it's never good bottling things up. Um, you know, there will come a point in someone's life that uh, there's that sort of popping or breaking point per se. And um, yeah. And then my, my um, breaking point was like um, I almost at one stage um, borderline uh, refused to be Asian, if that makes sense. And I wanted to be more Aussie um, so that I could be one of the Aussies and not be, um, not be, uh, be bullied about what, you know, the shape of my eye or the color of my skin, um, or the color of my hair. Um, yeah. And then, and then there was, again, there was, there were two struggling points that my race, my background, and also my, um, um, my sexuality being, being gay. And like, I doubted myself, like I didn't have any confidence, um, my self-esteem, my self-esteem was, was extremely low, very low, and I just wanted to do something to fit in because I didn't feel that, yeah, I felt that I didn't fit in because of, because of
1: those things. So, I mean, what did you do to try to not be Asian?
0: Ah, oh, I would um, try and make um, you know more um, non-Asian friends, for example. Uh, <laughs> I would uh, I would eat, um, <laughs> like, more American food, like meat pies and stuff like that, um, kebab, um, you know, just to really, um, you know, th- those little things, um, and I would try and uh, lose my accent um, because, you know, I was 10 years old, you know, it's, I wasn't born here, so having grown up for the first 10 years of my life in, in the Philippines, you know, I still carried that that accent, um, quite heavily back then. Um, there's probably still a little bit of it right now, even when I'm 46. Um, but yeah, at that time I was, I would, I would like, when I'm walking to school, I would sort of practice like saying stuff like, uh, g'day mate, like, you know, like putting on that, you know, that accent, like, how you, how you doing? Like, as you're going, like, yeah. (laughs) Um, wow. So, you know, just little stuff like that, little practical stuff that I thought could, Help and did
1: make me, did it have a did it make a difference?
0: Uh, I I guess because it allowed me to um, sort of um um as a, you know conversation um sometimes uh if the communication doesn't fit right in with I don't know with with people sometimes you could be pigeonhole. Um, and but in in that. In that context, in that environment, at that time, where I was um, having that sort of I don't know accent or speaking like that, really made me feel like I fit in and really made me feel you know somewhat normal. And yeah, I it actually did work because then I would you know greet them like that and they would say oh like you know maybe in their mind I oh, is one of us or. Like you know, he's not fresh off the boat, but you know all that, yeah.
1: Oh, but I mean, at the same time as you're quote unquote fitting in and being being accepted, did you also have like parallel feelings of, well, I am perhaps being accepted more, or I'm being abused less, but I, it's I'm not being the real me.
0: Of course, yeah, and and that's when, for so many years, I lost, I almost lost, or I lost parts of my. Uh, identity in terms of like um, me myself like who am I am I you know abnormal um, uh, or am I you know is this normal or is this abnormal and then what what about my heritage what about my culture it's something that I didn't sort of you know do anything about and I just put that on the on the back back, back, back burner and it was only in my towards my later my adult years that I started to Wanted to discover and uh, rediscover more of my heritage, Um, and then, like many, you know, many years ago, maybe eight or ten years ago, that's when I started to uh, go through that discovery or rediscovery, uncovering process of my culture, my heritage, and I'm so proud to say right now um, that I'm, yeah, I'm one of those people that are advocates of my heritage, my Culinary culture, just like Grace and, and Fidesz, the entrepreneur, or or the lovely, you know, women that make up the entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's it it's such must have taken such a journey for you to get to that point, and it makes me wonder. Will you know at the same time as you were experiencing all of these awful things that you were going through your parents were um were starting the restaurant and showcasing filipino cuisine i mean how did you feel about that uh
0: well that i i I was so young when they did that that was back in 1991 um i was what year nine i think from memory and um you know and and they didn't know all of this um i i i really didn't open up to anyone um because again, I just felt like it was, you know, it's something that I had to deal with and, or if I don't deal with it, then just sort of absorb it. Um, and it did affect me when I was going into my late 20s or early 20s and then towards my early 30s and mid 30s. Uh, again, it affected my identity, it, it really uh, so much self-doubt and uh, yeah so so much self doubt like um i developed uh, a lot of these um like um inner voices that wants to tear you down that you know that tells you that you only deserve to be here you know you don't deserve to progress any further uh, I don't, again i don't know if i hope that makes sense but um and then th- those were the battles that i had to deal with and i kept on soldiering on in in the way i know how and to a point it, it took a toll on me um and this is a bit sensitive i suppose but um something that
1: you know if anyone is
0: listening and perhaps if they've felt or if they know anyone that's gone through something like this or if they suspect anyone that's gone through like this yeah do reach out to them ask them are you okay you know and um you know, we don't have answers, but um, just knowing that you're gonna you're gonna be there for someone, or that person knowing that they'll be there, that you'll be there for them, it, you know, comes enough. Because, yeah, it um it allowed it led me to having that thoughts of self harm, um, you know, at one stage because again, I thought I didn't belong.
1: Yeah, it's so, it's so sad and such a, such a powerful illustration of how damaging it is when people aren't included, um, when there's this othering and, um, yeah, just marginalizing people. It's just so devastating and can have such, such far reaching and such long term impacts. I mean, Will, I wonder if, you know, have you spoken to your parents about it? It, at any point, like um, as you started to deal with it more yourself or come to terms with it or, or find yourself more, did you, were you able to speak to your parents? Because, I mean, I can only imagine that they were probably experiencing racism in their own arenas. Yes, and, and you know,
0: and if they, and I have no doubts, so they probably have, and again, it's probably something that they kept to themselves. We never talked about it, um, you know, Casually or um, formally, and um, I, in the last um, decade, you know, it's something that I have um, opened up um, to them. But for the majority of my preteens, teens, young adult, and sort of past the young professional young adult stage, it, it was something that I held on to myself, and I bottled it on and and. Yeah, and again, um, don't do that. Don't bottle it in. Don't um, keep it all to yourself. Um, the, the, you know there are um, help out there. Uh, there, are, there's a lot of help out there um, that you can you, that you can seek, um advice. And I'm. It's something that I would never want anyone to. Is to say, deal with it yourself because no, um, you you just you just don't want to take that risk, and you know, and for me, unfortunately, I just didn't know that the help was available at that time. But you know, right now, there's so many help out there. Um, Speak to you know, speak to your family members, speak to your friends, or speak to like Lifeline or you know, those non-for-profit organizations. There's so many out there, so don't be afraid. Yeah, don't don't be afraid. Just do have the courage. Um, unfortunately, at that time, I didn't have the courage. But, you know, I'm telling you now, anyone who may have felt this or going through this, yeah, stand up and have the courage to, to speak up.
1: Well, I mean, I think you did show enormous courage to you know, continue and to, yeah, I mean, to turn up to school every day and to, um, you know, build a life, um, I think that does show enormous courage. So don't be too hard on yourself for not standing up for yourself. I think even to know how wrong it is what you're experiencing, I mean, that is, you know, you, that has to click for you, doesn't it? It's not just, you know, oh, this, this is just something that's happening. It's like, no, actually this is wrong. I mean, it, it took you a while to get to that point. Hopefully, the more these kinds of things are aired, the more people have the idea right from the beginning that no, it's not okay. No one should be spoken to like that. Nobody should be treated like that. Um, well, what what was it that um, has allowed you to, I guess, change paths and 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 live in this enormous victory of being so proud of your heritage and sharing it with, um, with the Australian community, that's an incredible turnaround.
0: Definitely. And, um, you know, I mean, if you're going to live um, um, like in a different shoe or someone else's shoe, it, you can only walk on it for so long and then eventually you'll realise it's not the right fit for you or it's not the right comfort for you that would be the analogy the analogy like to use so Mm. uh, putting on that um persona like yeah how you going mate uh and all that like yeah i still you know I, i i still um uh you know speak like that um um you know whenever i have some banter with with mates but i don't usually um or my cousins or um and, and sort of speak like that. But um um going at I guess the silver lining was that I was like, wait a minute, um I've done this or I've been trying to be like this for, you know, ten years or fifteen years. There's something missing. So I I dropped that and I'm like I assessed myself and I said, look, I'm Filipino. Um, well, my dad is Chinese, but he was um, raised in the Philippines, married to my mom, who's from Cebu, Philippines. I was born in Cebu, Philippines. I was raised there. And then, yeah, at some stage in my life, I just felt a bit, um, there was something missing. And um, and that was one of the pieces that were missing, my heritage, my culture, my food, Um the way we just do things as Filipino people, Filipino community or family. And then that's when I started in 2001. I, I went back to the Philippines. And since 2001, up until pre-COVID or 2019, I think it was, um, I was I kept on going back to the Philippines at least three or sometimes four times a year to learn more about my culture, about, about, about cooking, about the food, about everything. They... Um, you know, everything that is to know about my about my island, um, the people. And that's what drew me back. And actually, it was food. Food drew me back to my heritage, to my culture. I've always said food has always has this way of reconnecting or connecting you back to your roots. Yeah, and I'm now at the forefront um, of really bringing Filipino food or Filipino cuisine to be, hopefully, someday, be part of mainstream Australia.
1: Well, I think you're definitely doing that, um, and I just think it's, it, it, it's you know, it, it, what you're doing already seemed great to me. You know, like to bring this um, this beautiful food of Cebu to to Sydney and um, and and to spread the word uh, more broadly through throughout Australia, um, but to now know how difficult it's been for you to feel secure enough to show that pride in your heritage it just impresses me so much and makes me feel uh, yeah just even more excited about the project that you're embarked you've embarked upon
0: almost it's almost 30 uh, uh, it's almost 30 years um, in the um <laughs> to be where I am. Um, but mind you, I did study culinary back um, in mid-late mid, mid late 90s, um, something that I didn't continue on. Um, you know, I'm so proud doing what I'm doing to be able to stand together with, you know, with the likes of Louisa Brimble um, and, and the wonderful powerhouse women of the entrepreneurs. You got the Filipino food movement that's based here in Sydney. Everyone just doing their own uh, sort of um, thing to really, um, as a as a community, we call it Bayanihan spirit. Bayanihan spirit is when you all come together and for a greater cause. And our cause is really to bring Filipino culture or food or cuisine um, to be part of mainstream Australian everyday discussions. Yeah.
1: Mm. Do you reckon... Uh things have changed much in Australia. I mean, you've gone on this personal journey and there's no doubt that Filipino food is is gaining more and more prominence as indeed it should. And, you know, you're a big part of that as, you know, as is Louisa Brimble, as are the entrepreneurs, that, um, Ross McNay, like just some really fantastic people that are bringing that forth. But do you feel that, you know, a kid coming from Cebu or from Sierra Leone or wherever and going to primary school in Australia, do you feel like anything's changed? Do you feel like people are ha- going to be have different experiences, that there's going to be more tolerance and understanding?
0: I believe that. Um, I believe that because the reason why I believe that is because, let's say you've got someone that may have arrived from the Philippines last year um, and they've enrolled in... Uh, in primary school, um, they would, there would be more self-awareness and um, education around how we treat our, ourselves and others. Whereas at that time, you know, back in mid or late um, 80s, there wasn't really much going on around that. Um, and, uh, you know, in this day and age, in this millennial sort of um um uh, time there's so many um there's so many campaigns out there there's so many podcasts there's so many talks out there um whether it's children's tv show or media mainstream media talking you know shedding awareness and light towards this subject topic so people are more self-aware and people are more um Accepting, not just tolerable, but accepting and, and respecting of others. Yeah, there's there's still gonna be cases of racism and discrimination and and whatnot, but I would say if I was to compare it like thirty years ago, it's definitely improved. Like Australia as a whole, for me, um, and and I and I and I can gauge that because if I was to go, you know, in an RSL back in in the 90s, I. The, the energy that I would feel um, is so much different to the energy that I would feel now. I mean, right now, you know, I go to a workers' club or an R- R- RSL to I don't know, to to grab um, some pub, sort of pub grub, dinner, bistro-style um, dinner. Um, I, there's a lot more diversity. So that's the key word. There's so much more diversity now. Um, there's more respect now. There's more acceptance, um, not just tolerance. and
1: mm. Do you ever get people yelling stuff out to you on the street anymore?
0: That that um, the last time I experienced that was, um, I would say probably yeah, in the mid no late nineties. Yeah, so that was some time ago. Um, but um, you know, there there are still times that um, you know, like I said, it hasn't been fully eradicated, and I'm not sure. If it will be eradicated, something like this, in the next, you know, two or three years, it, it is baby steps. It is, it is a process, but we have come such a long way. I mean, Australia has come such a long way, and I'm so proud of, you know, the general public, um, those those people, those Australians um, that really decided, hey, um, we're better off. Um, you know, diversity is a lot better. Um, and we're better off accepting, you know, everyone rather than, you know, this is just all about this particular color of skin and whatnot. So, and and, I, and I'm so proud that Australia has has really has has changed, and I'm I I do see changes, and I have seen changes, and I'll and I believe that it will continue to change for the positive, for the for the good.
1: Mm. That's, um, I'm pleased to hear that what about as a gay man how do you have you experienced discrimination or do you feel in any way marginalized because of that part of your identity then
0: yes but you know with a lot of um, again it's all it all came down to awareness and, and education and people obviously people don't know what they don't know back then when I was growing up you know being gay um, was not normal um being i was teased i was called uh, you know i was called names like fag and you know all those things that yeah uh, Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll censor that out but there's like so many names that i was called and again those that me being an asian gay kid you know me being an asian kid was already tough like really 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 tough being gay and Asian as a kid or as a teenager or as a human being was like a double sort of whammy. Um, I denied that part of myself. I, I tried to make myself think that, um, no, I have to be straight. You know, I have to be straight to get opportunities, let alone, um, yeah, and, and I tried to act straight. I tried to, I don't know if that that's weird, but, yeah, or dress straight, like, um or talk straight, um, yeah, it was really, really tough.
1: Mm. well, it's yeah, I mean, your journey's been extraordinary, and it's, yeah, I'm just really thrilled that you've sort of ended up where you are, and i'm I'm just sorry that the path's been so difficult, but like good on you for being the change that you that you want to see and you know that we all need to see in our society. It's um yeah, it's 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 super impressive. And um yeah, let's celebrate with some roast pork one day soon.
0: Yes, yes, please. And um hopefully you can fly up to Sydney, come up to Sydney, um, or when I'm planning on a pop up down there in Melbourne, um to bring Sibulich on in Melbourne for, as a pop up. So you'll be one of the first people to know and um yeah, get you to try like
1: yeah, I can't wait. Um, well, thank you so much for reaching out to have a chat today on Dirty Linen. Uh, it's been an absolute privilege uh, to have you share this part of your story. Thank you so much.
0: Much for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Danny.
1: This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Valant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about.